So we're going to be spending a few weeks now kicking off the new year. I don't know how your new year's going so far. Everybody having a decent new year so far? Yes. Yeah? I mean, the weather's been a little sketchy, but it's good, right? We got dusting last night, but it's melting today, right? Maybe. Um, we're, uh, <laughs> it's cold. We're, uh, we're moving on, and we're thinking about new things for the new year. Like I said, we got the new system in place for the new year. We won't do it for years, and this year we decided we're, we're going to do it, right? Uh, new system. We're, uh, we're thinking about, we're doing the Bible 365, by the way. If you're not doing that, I just want to shout out to the Bible 365 folks, because we just finished our second Bible, book of the Bible yesterday, which is awesome. And uh, we're going to move on to the third book today. So if you, uh, you want to read along with us, read the Bible in a year, you can jump in right where we're at. You don't have to start at the beginning and try to catch up, because that's a drag. <laughs> right? Just jump in. It's familybc.org slash 365. is the whole reading plan for the whole year, and uh, we'll be reading that together for those who are interested. It's been an awesome blessing uh, to do that. And then thinking about all this stuff, we start thinking also about our finances. You know, the post-Christmas blahs, you know, sometimes people got that huge credit card bill coming in the mail, and you're thinking, man, what am I doing with my life? Right? And this is an all-encompassing question, what you're doing with your life, because it's not just what you're doing with your money. But usually we exchange the days and hours that we have on the earth for money, and we take the money and get stuff, right? And so this question of what am I doing in my life is this overarching question that we have. And many people ask the question at the beginning of the year. You do things like getting in shape, right? I'm going to start a diet this year. You're going to read the Bible in a year. You're going to change a relationship in the year. I think Chris Robards uh, said, be better. That's what he, I think he said, if I had summarized. Uh, be better in 2019. Like everyone wants to be better. And so today I'm thinking, what would it look like financially to, to be better, you know? Why would we talk about this? And what's maybe most shocking to some of you is that Jesus talked about this stuff, right? The, the, the money problem isn't a new problem. The money problem isn't because of greedy uh, uh, capitalist Americans. Like, the money problem has been a problem ever since someone said, hey, I'll give you a fish for some bread, <laughs> right? There's always an exchange rate going on. And so this has been a long-standing issue, and so today, as we get into the series called Living Rich, I want to talk about the richest. Like, that's the first thing we're talking about, the richest. And, and I have a question. What would it take in your life for you to consider yourself rich? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what's the thing in your life you'd say, you know what? If I had X, Y, or Z, I'd be rich. What, what's come to mind for you? Maybe you're hoping this year to get a new job or to get a pay raise at work, to find some way to be more productive. Maybe you're going to follow the dream. Maybe you want to quit the job and, and do the dream job. Maybe you want to, but what would it take? Well, today we're going to talk about the richest and what it means to be the richest. I'm going to do something. By the way, Steve Hampsh knocked it out when he preached. I got to say that, right? And then uh, Lincoln and Christopher knocked it out. And one of the things they did that I loved and wanted to do for a while is we read scripture together. I'm gonna, we're not going to read this together, together like that. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 19, if you would. Matthew 19 on your smartphone, a Bible app, or in your actual physical Bible. If you don't have a Bible, they're in the back. Emily's back there grabbing one. I didn't get a page number on this. I'm going to give you a minute to turn to 19. And we're going to read 16 through 22. You're by a minute to get there. So the goal of the series as you're turning there is that we would talk... We're going to talk about money, uh, how we relate to it, and why it matters according to Jesus Christ, right? So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22, and what I would love to do is have someone read that for us. 
So someone who's a strong reader, read it out. Thank you. 22, 16 through 22. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get an eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Mm-hmm. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Thank you so much. So, just in a practical side note, I think that there are opportunities for the congregation to be involved in communal worship beyond singing the songs. I would love it. If you want to read scripture, come chat with myself or a leadership team member. We'll figure out how to do that without becoming like, you know, uh, what do you call that? Uh, ritualistic. Then we would love to have you read. Another thing I think we could do is pray. We have people pray during the service. We usually do two or three prayers. If, you want, if you're an awesome prayer, talk to us. We'd love to incorporate you praying uh, in the service. We believe that this, you know, it used to be that the reading of Scripture was a public, holy event. Just the reading of Scripture, what Chris just did. So if you want to be involved with that, talk to myself or a leadership team member, and we'll, be, we'll, we'll talk about how we can make that happen. We would love to, uh, to do that. So we have this story. Some call it the rich young ruler story, right? And, and we have this narrative where he engages Jesus. There's some things that he's doing right, and there's some things he's doing wrong. I wonder, though, whenever you think about who the guy is that comes up to Jesus, what's, what's he look like? Who is this dude? Because the text defines him as having great wealth, having many possessions is actually the way the text reads. He had many possessions. So you think, well, who is that person? We've got to think about our own culture and the people who are the richest. And who are the richest in our culture? I just remember, we've got to pray, y'all. I was all off, in the, off to the races. Let's stop honor the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today. We thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we're here to talk to you and to hear from you. We pray that you would inspire your word that Chris read, that we might understand it, that we might integrate it in our lives, and we might live it out and be transformed and ultimately be in a closer relationship with you because you showed up for us. We thank you so much for the opportunity to worship. We pray you would uh, teach us through your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, amen. So I was thinking about who the, who the richest are in our culture. And a couple of people come to mind. Uh, one dude you probably have thought of before. Who is it? Microsoft? Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates has been the running favorite, although there's some like Warren Buffett kind of guys. But Bill Gates has been the running favorite for a long time. I don't know if you know about Bill Gates. He's been trying to give away his wealth for years now, and he can't give it away as fast as he's getting it, which you would think could not be a problem, but it seems that he's, he's working pretty hard to get rid of it, and he keeps getting more. But I was surprised to find out that Bill Gates is not the richest person in, a, in the world anymore, right? The richest person in America, maybe, uh, anymore. And I found out that who is, is who? You might know? Yeah, some of y'all know. That's right. We, we pay attention to these things. Who's got the most stuff? Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is the founder of Amazon. Dot com. Many of us shop at Amazon.com. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to buy it, smile at Amazon.com. You can name Family Bible Church as a beneficiary. We have that set up. But Jeff uh, Bezos has a net worth of about $140 billion. A billion dollars. <laughs> That's like 
That's like, the, like a lot of money. That's like more money than small countries have. And this dude has it all in his pocket, right? And so he just this March surpassed Bill Gates as the richest man, right? And everyone's like, finally, Bill Gates has been dethroned. They called him the Forbes cover boy, Bill Gates. Finally been dethroned. Um, well, Jeff Bezos is the richest man for now. Because some of you may have heard, and I'm not celebrating this in any way, but it seems that Jeff and his bride, Mackenzie, have decided to divorce after 25 years of marriage. They put out a great PR statement. We've had a great life together. We love each other. We're still going to be friends. But we're going to go our separate ways and co-parent. And all the onlookers said, wow, Jeff is about to lose $70 billion in a divorce. Huh. I imagine McKinsey had something to do with his success. <laughs> if my own marriage is any judge of that. And so people are like, he won't be the richest anymore. But these are the people we're talking about. When we think about the, who is the guy that comes up to talk to Jesus. He's no ordinary person. He's no ordinary pauper, right? I mean, Jesus is there with his disciples, and this guy comes up and starts asking his questions. He's got stuff. He's successful, and probably wildly successful, according to what happens at the end of the conversation with Jesus. So I have a question about this Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos guy who walks up to Jesus. Did he make a wise decision? See, we read the story. We know how it ends. But was it a smart thing to do? I want to notice a few things about him. I'm not picking on him. Look at this. In verse 16, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked. Listen, that's a great start in life. If you're looking to be successful, go up to Jesus and ask. <laughs> you know? If you want to know how to inherit eternal life, go up to Jesus and ask. Notice, he approaches Jesus. He's off to a great, great start. And then he says this. Teacher, that's rabbi, right? He's, he's being respectful of Jesus. Um, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Second thing we notice right away is that he wants something that's worth having. He knows what he has in life. He knows all success he has. He knows everything that's at his fingertips every day of his life. But he knows that there's something still missing. And he wants to guarantee eternal life. Notice that he does that when he approaches. He asks a great question. You can imagine all the things he has when he rolls up. And in our own context, I'm not even joking, it would be like he would be the guy with the rings, the chains, the cars, right? The women, like whatever he would want. Whatever you think of as success. I often wonder, uh, whenever Bill Gates shows up at a restaurant, how many times does he have to ask for what he wants before he gets it? I wouldn't think very many times. Like, yes, Mr. Gates, let me get that for you right now. When he rolls up, he's something special, but he knows that there's something more important. And so he asks Jesus a great, great question. And then the, there's a third thing I want you to notice in this. That when he approaches Jesus, he knows that something must be done. And we'll talk about this later. But he knows that something must be done for this next thing he needs, right? And so he's probably a doer. He's probably a guy who's used to getting things done. He's probably become successful through diligence, right? You could say maybe inherited his daddy's, you know, camels. I don't know, right? Or maybe he worked his rear end off for it. Maybe he, he knew, and he showed up to Jesus, what do I have to do next? What can I do next, Jesus? And Jesus gives this answer. We're not going to get into this, but he says, you know, why do you ask me what's good? There's no one who is good. There's only one, I should say, who is good. But then he gives the answer the guy is asking for. If you want to enter 
obey the commandments. And the guy goes, which commandments? And so Jesus lists them out. And I want you to read them with me. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your mother and your father. And love your neighbor as yourself. Let's count them out. Do not murder one. Adultery two. Steal three. Give false testimony four. Honor your father and mother five. And then love your neighbor yourself six. How many commandments are there? You're already ahead of the dude. <laughs> Which ones? Jesus goes, those six. Obey those six. Right? And, and the man replies like this. I've kept all those since I was young. What do I still need then? If all I have to do is do these righteous things, you know, these are pretty, pretty big deals, you know. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't murdered anybody. Um, we're talking about a rich person, you know what I'm saying. Uh, I haven't given a false testimony about anybody. I've honored my mother and my father. I've loved my neighbors as myself, which they, he's got to have some great neighbors, right, if he's loving them like he loves himself. He says, I've kept all these things. Uh, what do I still lack? And then Jesus says this, if you want to be perfect, and he gives them a command. If you want to be perfect, then go and sell everything that you own and give it to the poor, and you'll have a treasure in heaven. We know the six that he named. What do I still lack? What do I still need? I have a question. Which four are missing? Does anybody know which ones they are? One is? Yeah. Keep the Sabbath holy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. So he's like, set limits on what you think you can do. The Sabbath. Take a day a week and stop working. That's one of the things that is in this perfection realm, right? Uh, don't misuse the Lord's name or don't bear it falsely. Sounds like he's kind of like, you know, hey, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Um, there's, a, there's a third, what is it? Make, I love the way you guys do this too. You're doing backwards, which is beautiful. Make no graven images. Make no, don't dance around golden cows. Try it. False idols. Don't go, look at my trophies. Look at what I've accomplished. You remember the story of Aaron and Moses when Moses goes to the mountain to get the commands of the Lord. And, and meanwhile, the people take the earrings that God gave them in plunder from the Egyptians while he freed them from slavery. They were rich. They had these adornments for themselves. And they decided to melt them down and have Aaron craft it into a calf that they could worship the Lord, which the Lord was not pleased with this behavior. It was a false idol. It could have been, uh, uh, you could think of it literally like a trophy cabinet or accomplishments. This would be a huge Achilles heel to someone who is, you know, I've, I've done this myself. But then there's the final and the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. How does that connect? You're going, Bill. I hope you're doing this. I hope you're going, Bill. You're, talk, you're preaching on what ain't in the text. That's right. That's fair. But what does he say? If you want to be perfect, what? Go and sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And the guy goes, right? What did he, what did he get? The false god. What did, what did Jesus slay in that moment? Just stuck, a, stuck the sword right through the heart, right? All I have. You mean everything I have? Jesus, you know how long it's taken me to get to this place in life? Do you know how I've scrapped and worked and saved? Do you know how I wasn't out buying Maseratis and they bought Maseratis on credit? I waited and saved cash and I bought the Honda or Toyota, Chevy, whatever it was. 
Not the Maserati. Do you know how long I've worked for this? Do you know how much I've invested? Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus is saying, this is the math problem. Jesus is going, take your earthly stuff and cash it in for heavenly treasures. Take all the stuff that you think is so valuable and invest it in something eternal. What would be eternal? A brother or sister in need. Someone who can't repay you. <laughs> it's not a loan. It's not coming back. Just take, take your stuff and cash it out. There's a theme like this throughout the Bible. It says what? Oh, and then get this. As if it's an afterthought. And then come follow me. Right? I've heard people say, and I agree, that this was the heart issue for this man. Right? That if you and I approach Jesus, it would be some other false god, false idol. It may or may not be money. Fair enough. But listen, it's explicitly about wealth. It's explicitly about the things that we possess, the things that we have in our hands. And we're going to talk that from the text, it's very clear that the Jesus is talking about this principal issue. But he says this, and then after you've done that, then come and follow me. Have you heard of the uh, people who are hoping to catch the first flight into space on SpaceX? Or what is the other one? Uh, blue uh, something? Blue orbit? Blue feather? I don't know what it's called. Something they're shooting. They're, they're racing to the rockets to the space to get, to get um, casual people. And, and I know some dude, I think he's Japanese or something, he paid like the, some ridiculous price to be the first person to buy a private seat into space, right? He's like, cash that stuff out, and you're going to have treasure in heaven, and then you come and follow me. How much do you think that that seat, listen, how much do you think that that seat at the table with Jesus Christ is worth? Because this man's doing math. He's like, Rabbi? out here with these poor people, out here talking about the kingdom, and out here with these poor you know, these people who left their jobs and stuff to follow you. And I'm supposed to cash in all my stuff to get a seat on this ride? Is that what I'm going to do? It's the invitation. Do it and come follow me. We know how it ends. Here it goes. And the young man, when he heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I'm telling you, the text reads, he went away sad or grieved. The text says he went away grieving because he had many possessions. It was simply too much to ask. It was too much to ask. And so he left. Now, it's about this guy, but check it out. Look, look at verse 23. Then Jesus said this to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich person person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This is a shocking truth that Jesus teaches. And before we're too quick to kind of distance ourselves from the discomfort of Jesus asking a lot of us to follow him, that he would expect something, that he would ask us to do something as radical as to sell everything and give to the poor, before we push that alarm, yeah, but you don't know. All I have is debt, man. I don't have any money. I'm poor. Like, I don't fit in that. Before we push that away, we have to understand. They say, oh, that's that guy, not me. That's Bill Gates. That's Jeff Bezos. That's not me. That's the rich people. I'm not the rich people. He says, it is clearly about the kingdom of God 
and finances. It's a hard thing for a rich person to enter, listen to the words, the kingdom of heaven. Um, when it's, read that like, with great difficulty. <laughs> with great difficulty. The image is literally tied into childbirth. That's how hard it is for a rich, a wealthy person who has many possessions to enter God's kingdom. It's that hard. If you've been in a childbirth room, it's hard, <laughs> okay? It's a hard thing. It's like that in order. And then he doubles down. There's a direct symmetry. Again, I will tell you. And they, again, amen. I tell you, amen. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of meal. And I've seen pastors and preachers and believers try to explain this. Well, it's this thing. The camel gets on their knees. They crawl there. No, it's an eye of a needle and a full-size camel. You just got to hork it through there. <laughs> you know? I can't get a thread through a needle. You ever tried that game? You just get a camel. He's saying it's nearly impossible. He doesn't say impossible. Nearly impossible. Unless you think I'm making too much of this great difficulty, childbirth, um, narrative, camel, and I have needle and all that stuff. Look at the response of the disciples. It says, when the disciples heard this, they were blown away. It means they were literally blown out of their wits. They were removed from themselves. They couldn't believe what Jesus just taught. It's that hard for a rich man, a rich person, to be saved, to enter the kingdom of heaven, to enter the kingdom of God. This astonishment the disciples experienced here is the same word used in the shepherds when the angels parted the heavens and began to sing about the coming Messiah that Jesus was born. Like that moment where the shepherds are like in great fear, like what? That's crazy. That's the moment the disciples have with Jesus over the issue of wealth. They're blown away. They're just completely removed from themselves. And they're astonished. It's probably the best translation there, right? And they ask a poignant question of Jesus. Look at it. Then who can be saved? <laughs> Do you hear the incredulous response from them? What is that implying? What is that implying? I want to confess something this morning. I got the same problem that y'all got. I'm convinced that rich people have it made. And notice I say rich people, because they're out there, not in here. Right? They've got it. They don't go to jail when they do things wrong. They can bribe people. They can pay off politicians. They can fly around the world. They can flee. They can make bail. They can do anything they want to do. They can walk in a restaurant, demand the corner table, and make you move. Like, they just got it made. You know what the uh, assumption is, it sounds like? The disciples believe this about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. If anybody's getting in, it's that guy. I mean, if any of us have a shot, it's the guy that just came up with all the stuff, been doing good stuff to his neighbors. He's the one. You can almost feel their, their awe of him when he approaches Jesus. They're just like, wow, this guy wants to ask Jesus' advice. That's amazing. I said I want to confess something. I have a hard time approaching very wealthy people with the gospel because it seems to me from looking at their life, they don't need anything. They got the car we wish we had. They got the house we wish we had. They, they got the job we wish we had. And you go, they don't need the gospel. The gospel is just for us poor people. It's a hard thing. I'm telling you. Truth be told. My coworkers, I'll tell them about the gospel all day. Go into neighborhoods where people are struggling, tell them about the gospel all day. Jesus has hope for you. 
Going to which neighborhood? Six-car garage? I don't know what to talk to you about. And they say, if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus gives this answer. He says, it's impossible with man. By the way, I want to miss one more thing, and then we're going to wrap up here, and, ha- and we're going to share some communion together. This comes in the middle of three hard teachings Jesus gives about the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you don't enter it like a child, you're never going to get in. Remember? And then right after that, the disciples push so away and says, no, 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 don't keep, our blast ministry is so huge because we are ministering and receiving children in the name of Jesus Christ to teach them to become obedient to him, to know him, to love him. That's a huge thing. Jesus believed it was of utmost importance, children's ministry. We ought to believe the same. Uh, so he said, if you don't enter like the kingdom of heaven, uh, like, like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom. That's in, that's in Matthew 18. And then, I'm going to probably step on the toe here again. But then he says, and there ain't no good reason for divorce except infidelity. And they're like, well, Moses lets us divorce for any other reason. And he's like, that ain't of God, right? So he teaches a hard thing with the, uh, marriage and divorce. And then the third hard teaching here is it's hard for the rich to be saved. So my question is, who's rich? Who's wealthy? Who possesses a lot of stuff? This year in 2019, uh, I was... This is what, what we're 20 days in right now, right? Um, I came home one day and our bed was covered in stuff. Has anybody had this experience yet? Have any of you had this experience yet? Yeah, a few of you have. Netflix, in their infinite genius, decided to launch a TV show on tidying up on January 1st. Like nine days later, CNN picked up a news article on it about how crazy things have gone in the thrift shop business because it's called, I don't even know this person, Mary Coney, Mary Kono, Marie Kondo, my wife says. <laughs> and, 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 if, and she, I'm like, what's going on? And she's in the cabinets in the kitchen. She's putting all the stuff in a pile in our kitchen. Like, what's going on in our life? But I went snowboarding. It was fine. Uh, that's the truth. But then get this. So then I started, I started watching this Marie Kondo thing to go, what is this about? And you know what she says? You don't know how much stuff you have until you put it in a big pile and look at it. So she has people all across the country putting their stuff in a big pile and looking at it. And then you know what people do? They go, oh my God, I got so much stuff. And then she has them sorted out. What are you going to keep? What are you going to get rid of? What do you not need anymore? But you never know unless you see it. One dude, this is crazy, because you go, who's rich? I'm answering this question. One dude on there was probably like in his uh, maybe 30s, 40s, and he had a thing for tennis shoes, sneakers. And he had them in a, he had a room for his tennis shoes, sneakers. He's not a rich, he's got two kids, I think, and, you know, and he's got this room full of shoes that he's been collecting since he was 16. And they said, well, he said, I've always loved shoes. And he sat down and he said, you know, I think... I did the math. I think I've spent over $10,000 in shoes that I've never worn. Stuff. Stuff. So we have a tendency to look out there and say, well, those are the rich. But the truth is this. We are rich. We are. Almost everyone that lives in a first world country is rich according to any global standard. We're wealthy. We don't feel it because we always want more than somebody who's richer. But we're rich. Now the question then, what are you holding on to in your life more tightly than God? Like, what's the thing in your life that you're like, not that, 
I want to sit with Jesus. I want to sit at the table. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to live. But not that. You know how hard I've worked for that? I had an opportunity yesterday to have a conversation, with, an unexpected conversation yesterday with somebody about the gospel. And uh, they were talking about the Bible. They love the Bible. And they said, we love the Bible because it teaches us how to live. We can live right. That's what the Bible says. And after a long conversation, I said, we, I, I fundamentally think the Bible is telling us that God provided a solution because we can't live right. The Bible isn't a book of how to do it right and then you'll be successful forever. The Bible is a book about how God did something perfect that we could never have done on our own. The Bible's full of human failure and God's successes. That's what Jesus says in the answer. He says, with man it's not possible. Check it out. 26, looking at them, Jesus looked right at his disciples and he said, with man it's not possible. That dude will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That dude will not enter the kingdom of God. It's not possible. And then quickly, but with God, all things are possible. Everything is possible. He hangs it firmly on the side of what God can do that the rich, young ruler can't. He hangs it firmly on the side of what God can do that Bill Gates can't. He hangs it where God can do and Jeff Bezos can't. What God can do and the U.S. government can't. Right? What God can do and you can't. And I can't. So we have uh, this gospel and it's the fundamental issue for us as believers in Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about it for a minute. We're going to share a table together. But the gospel is this, that God did something that we can't do. That no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how successful you are, no matter how nice you are, no matter how good you try to live, no matter how many of the, the rules you try to follow, you cannot bring about peace with God. We can't. It's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. I'm going to turn to uh, Matthew 26. You can turn if you'd like to. Thinking about that difficulty in, in childbearing, difficulty in kingdom birthing that's required. And this is the narrative uh, that Jesus has uh, shared about Jesus. And it's going to be, we're going to go a little backwards. Just. We're going to start in uh, 2636. This is after the Last Supper, which we're going to celebrate in a minute. But I want you to see what happens. It says in 2636, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And there he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and I pray. And he took Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee along with him, the brothers of thunder. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said this, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You know, I want to connect this back to that rich young ruler who went away grieving. He went away grieving because he had stuff that he had to give up to enter the kingdom of heaven. The word here is exactly the same for Jesus in Gethsemane. That after the Last Supper, what we're going to celebrate in a minute, after he had this kind of beautiful meal, he made these amazing promises. He goes to Gethsemane. He asks a couple of friends to come along, and he gets on his knees, and he, he just begins to grieve, grieve what's about to happen. You think it would be a lot for the rich, young ruler to pay for a seat at the table of Jesus Christ? You think it would be a lot for him to give up everything he rightfully owned? We have Jesus, fully God, in the garden, grieving 
for what he's about to give up that he might bring redemption to God's people. You know, his whole ministry, Jesus is looking at the crowds and he's just grieved for them. Something must be done. Someone must pay the price. There has to be righteousness. I know my father, absolute righteousness is required. And then in this intimate moment, after a beautiful supper, he gets in a garden and he grieves. It says he's filled with sorrow as he begins to realize and to enter into the suffering that's required to set us free. Is it worth it? See, the rich young ruler isn't the richest. Jesus is. The one who paid the most isn't the one that sold everything they had and gave it to the poor and then went and followed Jesus. Jesus did. Jesus did. Everything he had a right to as a son, every ability to pull himself off the cross, he surrendered for the glory of God that we could be free. And this is the gospel. And this is the gospel, that he would give it all for us, all for me. And he did. He gave everything for us counted all the costs, and then willingly laid down his life for us. Chapter 26, verse 26 reads like this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he gave thanks for it, and he broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he offered it to them. And he said this drink from it, every one of you. This is my blood, the blood of a new promise, a covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we call it last supper because then he adds, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. I was talking to a fellow pastor in Highland about how we do communion, and I said, we have an open table. And he goes, how does that work? And I said, well, if people want to come and receive communion, they come and receive communion. And um, we were talking about, well, is, you know, the Bible warns that you ought not receive it in an irreverent manner. And uh, I agree with that. But to receive it in an irreverent manner means to receive it in a way that you don't recognize that it is indeed the very uh, presence of the Lord that this is his body broken for us, and that this promise that he made is a new promise of righteousness and of freedom from sin and of a new life. So we were talking, well, how do you know if people are worthy? I want to say this. This morning, if you're not believing in Jesus Christ for salvation, maybe you've had communion before. You've just taken your it's bread, it's juice. This morning, you can make a decision to receive Jesus Christ. He invites you to the table. We're going to do this by intention. You can take the bread, dip it into the juice. Be mindful of what it means, what he paid, that we might be free. And then you can receive it as you are led. We're going to do something else different today, too. We're going to invite you to come forward as families, as friends, and receive communion together. So as you're led, look around, grab a couple people around you, come forward and receive the Lord's Supper together. This was a communal meal that was meant to remind us that Jesus has paid a lot that we could be free. Pray with me, and then we'll receive communion together. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for the table you've set for us, unworthy as we are. And Father, for all the ways we think wrongly about worldly possessions in this life in itself, 
Father, I pray that you would, uh, you would make those things right in our hearts. I pray, Father, that we would be trusting in you for salvation and you alone. Uh, that we would be offering no, believing that we have no higher sacrifice to offer of ourselves than what you offered on the cross for us. And that we receive it willingly, gladly, joyfully, the table you set. May you be honored at the breaking of bread and the remembrance of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the life that we have in his name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.